This episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with Zach Blair is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest's best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I personally always make a stop at Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle. Uh, they're a great bunch of guys, and it's just not a complete Seattle trip unless I go and say hi and see what uh, wonderful stuff they have. These are real people offering real service, folks. Uh, use code ANTIHEROES10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com and tell them I sent you. Hey guys, this is Zach from the Anti-Heroes Podcast, and I want to welcome our newest sponsor to the show, DistroKid. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. Can you believe that? Anti-Heroes listeners get 30% off at distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Again, that's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Thank Thank you so much and support all the folks at DistroKid because they're they're doing amazing work and we couldn't be happier to have them on board. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time to check this out, I'm a guitar player and I talk to guitar players. It's as simple as that, folks. I'm interested in talking to guitar players. It's all I'm really interested in as an adult in his late 40s. It's all I do. I don't have hobbies. This is it. This is what I do with my life. But I get to talk to really, really interesting folks, really interesting musicians, really interesting guitar players that are doing really interesting things. And today we get to talk to Jessica Dobson from the wonderful band Deep Sea Diver. Uh, Jessica has also played guitar with Beck. Jessica has played guitar with The Shins. And she's just a wonderful, wonderful person. I feel like I'm in a new friend, if only in virtual world so far, but I'm sure we'll meet in person one day. And I look forward to that. Uh, so yeah, get into this. We talk about her influences. We talk about her writing. We talk about her gear. And 
you're a fan of Jessica, this is a must, must listen, must hear. So let's get into it. Let's listen to my uh, interview with the wonderful Jessica Dobson. Hi, Jessica. I, you know, we, we never met. We were just talking about this. We never met. And I'm so glad we're getting to meet. It's so nice to make your acquaintance, although it's digital. You as well. It's been a while since I've, I've done a podcast, uh, so this is fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, good. I'm, I'm, I'm flattered that it's mine. And I'll try not to get too dorky. But, but um, I, you know, we'll talk a little bit about your guitar playing and your band and your gear and all that shit you know right off the top with your gear everything i looked up you're kind of uh you're kind of using fender stuff i do have a lot of fender stuff actually just recently pulled out uh the oldest guitar that i own uh it wasn't the first fender that i bought but mm -hmm. it's the oldest guitar i own um let's just get right into it to to dork history let's go uh, pre-cbs 1964 olympic white matching headstock jaguar really and, mm -hmm, and i got it for really cheap um, and at a guitar store in Fullerton, California, I grew up in Orange County when I was like 20, maybe, um, okay. I think I bought it for like 1500 bucks. It was a lot, a lot of money to me at the shit. time. Um, yeah, but, but I also guitar. realized it was, I was also getting a good deal too. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know how much they go for now, but you know, it's a lot more than that, but, they uh, are a lot more than that. Yeah. And I, I love that guitar, but it was nice to, to bust it out this morning. But yeah, I do own a lot of Fender's basses and guitars and then, um, but I'm not married to Fender. Right. I play what I like to play. I have a built guitar, which I love, um, that they made for me a few years ago. I just actually today got a brand new guitar from a new luthier in the UK called Trent guitars. Oh yeah. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I got to like, spec that one out um awesome. alongside him and just like it's my first guitar that i've owned that has p90s right. so uh that's a sound you know a lot of the records that i love Deerhoof and all those guitar sounds like those are p90s and i i just i don't know i've never picked up a guitar that i like that had p90s in it so i never got right. it but right. already just playing this one for an hour it's that's awesome great. yeah the built guitars are great too oh yeah they do fantastic work i've saw i first saw Nels Klein playing a built um, yep. in Wilco, and uh, it looked a lot like my Starcaster that I had, but it looked like a, a marriage between like a Starcaster and a, it has that headstock, that kind of yeah. iconic big headstock, and uh, and then a Jazzmaster. It looked like both. What so. a cool! I noticed that, and I was actually going to talk to you about your Starcaster because I did see that you had that, and I love those guitars as well. But I thought, well, what a cool! Uh, designed to base your sort of uh, a lot of the builds. You're right; they do sort of look like a, an amalgam of of a Starcaster or a Jazzmaster. And, and I just always thought it was so cool that he sort of used a Starcaster as like the jumping off point. Like, what a random yeah, totally. You know. It was not very well known, at least when I was growing up. Besides, yeah. like Johnny Greenwood playing it, that's the only person I ever saw. I had one for a while, and I did, I got rid of it, and I don't know why I got rid of it, but. <laughs> Anyway, you know, you get shit and you're just like, I'm not playing it, whatever. Um, you know, and it's it's funny, you know, I was just talking to somebody else about the independent builders and so like the boutique guys and the the homemakers and it's so good. The quality's so good. And then you're actually talking, like you said, you just had yours custom built. You're talking yeah. to that guy that's making your guitar. And that's amazing. It's pretty wild. Yeah, I've right? never been like a vintage truist or anything like that. Like, um, 
I, is truest the right word? Oh, who cares? Um, purist. Sure. You know, it's kind of like if you just only have all analog, that's awesome. And that's such a vibe and it's so cool. Um, sure. But I, you know, I'm interested in, in all aspects of my life of pushing things forward. And so, of course, other people are into that as well. And thankfully, a lot of those people are making guitars and are paying homage to like the vintage stuff that they love and then, you know, coming up with sweet new designs. Yeah. Yeah. I've been talking to Matt Hughes at Banker Guitars, and I'm going to have some of his stuff made. And it's like Gibson concepts and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm as excited about it as I was when I first started playing guitar. You know what I mean? Like having yeah. something made for you when you have discerning taste now because you've been touring and playing, you know what you yeah. want and all that stuff. And then getting one guitar that has everything, you know, you always have to add and take away and all that shit. And just to have somebody you talk to that makes it for you, uh, it's such yeah. a great concept, you know. Yeah, uh, so how wild. did you start playing guitar? I had a 12-string Takamini laying around that was my dad's. Okay. And so it was just like, you know, this huge uh, acoustic that was way too big for my – I have really tiny hands for a guitar player. Me too. Me um, too. Yeah. And so – but you just – that doesn't mean you can't play. It just means you play differently. Mm-hmm. And, or you know, I don't have the, the wingspan of Jimi Hendrix or anything right. like that, you know, but I make do with my own little chords. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, he just let me go at it. And he had, like, an old 1960s, like, chordal book that right. I think was, like, whatever is, like, the standard now was the standard then. And it's, it's right. sweet. I, I still have that book. I think it's in the, the case of it. It's so great. It's, like, Mel awesome. something. Mel, Mel Bay. Yeah. Yes, the Mel Bay book. And, uh, you know, I grew up – yeah, I yeah. grew up in uh, – the best place to learn is either playing in a band or going to youth group. at church Uh that's where a lot of kids got started because there's all the instruments there and you can go at it and uh be a part of something that seems fun at the time and so um I was really motivated to to learn how to play just so I could play in the band and I had already been playing piano since I was six so I picked up guitar at 11 and then it was just kind of that was it. That was off yeah. to the races. Yeah. I think I think that's a good kind of time. To, I had I, gotten a guitar when I was nine, but then started really practicing it at 11. I think that's a really good age because you're sort of getting in that weird thing with the sponge thing that kids have where they're sort of mm-hmm. really able, you know, the ADD is sort of happening, but you're also kind of like oddly attuned to things as well. Uh, that's, that's, yeah. So who are your influences starting out? Who did you sort of gravitate toward? So from the records that my parents had, they had, you know, all of the stuff everyone had, Zeppelin and uh, the Beatles were a huge influence on me early on in my playing, Um, as well as, I mean, I definitely like, I had a Jimi Hendrix record in elementary school that like I tried, I tried to go straight for the solos after I knew a few chords. I was like, I can, I can play things by ear. And so I would pick out because at the time I didn't know, understand how to go online or get guitar taps or anything like that. So I would just try to like teach myself um, Jimi Hendrix licks. And then in junior high, my cousin gave me a lot of music like tapes and CDs and shit like that. And, it was more of like The Cure and The Smiths and um, right. this one soundtrack I had that had many bands, like the Clueless soundtrack and the Scream soundtrack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it yeah, was like yeah, yeah. a lot of punk bands. Um, Nick Cave was on there, Radiohead, the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. Like, so that kind of shaped, I had probably been playing for a few years by then. And then right. it definitely kind of pointed my playing towards, I liked a lot, I guess I liked a lot of UK artists at that time. Yeah. You know, and it shaped who the little young punk I was, and then, <laughs> and then, yeah, blossomed out from there. Those are so important. The sort of you know 
I mean, for lack of a better word, compilations, because then it's it's a little taste of a lot of different bands, and you just gravitate towards the ones you like, and you buy yeah. their catalog, and you do deep dives and stuff. Um, you know, that also brings me another question. In researching your stuff, it seems like you're really sort of, um, you use pedals in a really cool, creative, inventive way. So how did that all start, and like, what's your go-to I like I think uh you know a lot of ever since I was the way I approached guitars like in patterns and loops and things like that and you know I love writing songs but I I like having these things that come in and come out and so I think right. that with pedals it's the kind of same concept of just like you know you can set it and forget it and that's fine too and I have plenty of pedals that you know I do that with with certain overdrives and sure. but I I love um the surprise of a sound coming in and out and so that's why I love playing with pedals and I don't have limitations on myself when I approach pedals, but I do try to, um, I think Nils Klein was very inspiring to me in the way that he knows his pedals inside and out and can get a thousand sounds out of one thing instead of having a thousand pedals and not really knowing them. That's a great way to put Um, that. Yeah. And so I love to beat the shit out of stuff and really know it inside and out. So yeah, I definitely have, you know, pedals that, that are super glued to my board. And then other things right. that are experimental and um, they go in and out. Yeah, totally. But I'm interested in, I'm so glad that like from an early age, I was constantly rearranging pedals and never kind of had a distinct order of things. Right. And I was able to get sounds that, you know, you d- couldn't get if you just always left, you know, your delay pedal always at the end or right. your trim always first or whatever the stupid rules are that people have. Yeah, there are a bunch of stupid roles because, you know, they do different things if they're plugged into different ways. And then totally. you get all those people that do, are you going through the effects loop or straight direct line? It's like, it doesn't, just fucking, I don't care. just yeah. do the thing. Who gives a shit? Man, uh, Nels Klein. My partner, sorry, just came in and handed me a coffee. Uh, oh, that's say a special shout out to Peter Manson. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good partner there. Uh, Nels Klein, man, the solo to side with the seeds. Holy shit. Oh, so good. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous. absolutely ridiculous. It was pretty wild. Like, uh, I've gotten multiple times, like, either on tour or being on the same festival circuit with them, like, just sitting side stage on a on an amp case right next to him and just watching him do his thing. Yeah, He's forever, forever inspiring to a lot, yeah. a lot of people. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, from the Nails Klein singers to the Geraldine Fibbers, just to every everything that guy does. I just want to pick it up and I want to absorb what he's doing and try oh, to. Yeah, figure I out love the... um, Peter, who's also in Deep Sea Diver. Um, he's seen Nails Klein multiple times since he was like in high school, um, and I think it was with the Nels Klein singers or some trio. But, like they were playing in Olympia, Washington, and it was like at a pizza place to maybe five people this is like probably early 2000s and uh but there's no difference between how he plays in front of 50,000 people and five people and so like that yeah that that definitely had a huge impression on Peter and just like always bringing it and then of course spilled out into how we do things as well you know as a band and conceptual because that's the real deal right like that's Mm -hmm. the real guy You know, like, what is it we all do if we don't, if we judge a crowd based on the volume of the people there? Because, I mean, you know, if, if you're worth your salt, you, you played to more empty rooms than you played to fill rooms. You know what I mean? And the empty room is always around the corner, you know? Yep. 
it's coming again. So you might as well, you know, oh, yeah. be up there because you love it. You love it. And, you know. Yeah. yeah, it has to be that way. There's, you can't, you can't ride at the top forever and it ebbs Fuck and flows. No. And sometimes you, it's sometimes even if you're at the top, you want to play the empty room yeah. thing just to try out new material or to get back to your roots of like, this is what it's about, you know, and, and totally. can I get a room of five people to be really excited? I was just having that talk the other day, you know, it's like, what is it we all do, you know? When you get jaded, I you know, we all know those people too. I go, fuck, I could do it again or whatever. Yeah. And it's just a job. It's just a job for them, which is totally such a shame. Such a shame. Um, when did you start playing in bands? Um, well, the first band, like if you wanted to call it that, the first band I was in by kind of happenstance was with my neighbor. It was a punk band. I don't even remember what we called it. I just know that we played, you know, every day after school open garage door piss neighbors off like and um and uh yeah that was like the first band where i remember writing songs for it and uh yeah trying to learning how to play with others well you know but we sucked i'm sure and then uh and then i was mostly solo artists like throughout high school went under my own name um at one point changed went under a different name margot lee if there's like some random eps floating around (laughs) i've seen them pop up on like eva there's like not many were made of when i went under that pseudonym but um and then what i wasn't in another band until i formed deep sea diver it was either playing with other people um for their own bands or sorry i wasn't fronting a band until right oh it was like solo artists and then i played you know, for other artists that were much bigger than me, but I never yeah. played in any bands like or like high school or early college. Um, I don't know. I don't think I was exposed to. I EA wasn't invited to play in any other bands, <laughs> right. um, and uh, I think I was just so focused on what I was doing as a solo artist that I wasn't even looking. So I'm sure if I had looked, like it would have been. I actually like. It's not a regret of mine, but I think that I think I would have benefited greatly from playing in in more bands like that or that early on and just kind right. of like learning the collaborative language a little bit better and there are things that i learned later in life um for how to be a better band leader better collaborator all of these things that like you kind of are put through the fast lane you know the more bands you play in and you learn sure. like oh, okay i don't really prefer playing you know in this band but i like this band because of these reasons and right. you seek out those kinds of people who are similar you know right you know it's funny i've played in a thousand bands and the vernac it's funny you mentioned that because the vernacular does seem to be similar whether it's a metal band or a rock band or a punk band or a country band whatever it might be you still i found that it's still like okay dude just do that part four times and everyone knows what that means you know it does yeah. not perf- proper or preferred musical nomenclature you know (laughs) like everybody goes oh yeah i know that rift it's four times or whatever it may be the shorthand we all speak that we might speak in whatever our band is it tends to be the same you know what i mean um yeah which which is interesting totally i yeah i think i think you're right i think there i'm also so interested um in seeing bands or artists who have been doing it for a really long time and later on in life actually you know to bring nels klein up again like uh seeing the people that really shift the band that it's years after a band is formed and so you know he joined what early 2000s and they'd already been doing it for a long time um 
And it's interesting because he has such a stamp on the sound of Wilco. Yeah. And the same, I was just watching, um, I'm like a huge Nick Cave fan and Birthday Party and the Bad Seeds and all that stuff. And, and uh, but when Warren Ellis joined, like, I think it's interesting, like a new language was formed of like, sure. oftentimes they're not even in the same room. They just play for hours and hours and then compile all the stuff. And they don't even know it's good at the time, but they'll listen back a few days later and be like, oh. There was some yeah. genius in the unspoken language that they have. Um, yeah. And that comes from, you know, years of playing together. But I don't know if he had the same rapport, like, you know, with the bad seeds, if they're just playing for hours. I think it was him bringing, like, fully formed songs mostly. But now he says he doesn't even bother, like, because Warren Ellis has such a heavy hand in the wow. direction of things. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm also really interested in that, like, because there is their go-to language. And then also so interested in the things that come along in your life that surprise you and like cause you to tilt your language or where it goes sideways you know that's a really great point and and i don't think those muses or those inspirations ever stop and that's what makes life exciting right or the life of an artist exciting is because we're always sort of or could always meet that person you know it sounds like nick cave met warren ellis later in life and i just saw nick cave and warren ellis together have you seen this tour they're doing yet oh yeah that's like my favorite show in the last like three years i just yeah it's great i just saw it too well so good um but yeah but he met him later in life and then it was just like there's my guy and they created this collaborative effort and now they're doing everything together and who knows if he ever imagined meeting somebody like that to create, you know, to have this this spark later in his musical life that might take him to the end of his of his end of, yeah. of his musical career, and that's really exciting, you know. That's, um, yeah, I never really even thought about it like that. Um, yeah, that's, that that does make it all, you know, kind of worth living. <laughs> you know, what I mean? totally. Right. Yeah, I like. Oh, it's like the whole just concept of being um, antenna up, always transmitter out. Shatter in the your biggest influence i mean i know you mentioned Jimi hendrix but do you have like a person guitar wise that or is it just more uh, your your style is based predicated on people like nick cave and the bad seeds or whatever in general and not just one specific guitar player yeah i mean i think you know Jimi hendrix is where i learned solos but not necessarily like the, my biggest musical influence sure it was more like from a technical like oh whoa i, I can do this but um and then it kind of set me on my merry way i think my biggest influence uh in junior high from about that to like late teens was probably johnny greenwood uh okay just because i was fascinated and i'm still fascinated by he's just his playing is full of tension and you can hear that in his like string scores that he did for there will be blood and he's doing all kinds of movies now which I, i think is so fucking awesome like yeah that he's like pushed himself into that ether and it's amazing it's amazing um yeah. but i was also really influenced by tom york's playing as well and like i love the back and forth i'm really into a lot mm-hmm. of bands that had that that back and forth kind of dueling guitars thing yeah. going on and it's a weaving 
Yeah, for sure. Patterns fascinate me. And that's why Peter and I play really well together, too, on songs we have written on guitar together. Because he has such a percussive element. And I think of my, I'm more of the legato slur, tying things together in longer phrases. And and he has like more kind of, I guess, West African inspired patterns and and things like that. But, um, but yeah, other, other than those people, I mean, yeah, like the bad seeds and the jangly, Uh, gang of four the smiths just like that that kind of stuff definitely uh i'm always feeling like i'm in a a fun battle with my guitar the way that i play people have described it like that like it looks like you're fighting your guitar right i was like oh yeah i guess i kind of do like Mm -hmm. even in the way that i have the action set up it's always like i want a little bit of struggle involved right okay and but then i also love a clean glassy sound too i don't yeah. know you know being a a fellow small hand person i always like my action release i i don't like being able to like i want i don't want to fight it you know what i mean yeah. i want to go for it but but it's funny you say it, like attacking guitar having a war with your guitar if 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 gang of four andy gill is an influence then that's definitely going to come out and i i feel like i feel like gang of four in any sort of punk or punk adjacent music it's ubiquitous. You're not getting away from Gang of Four. You're just not, you know. Yeah, totally. Uh, Television. And that's great. Totally. All, yeah, for sure. Um, I did see that about – I watched your KEXP performance, and you and your guitar player do have a really cool relationship and a, a conversation going on. And, I, you know, I'm not a Grateful Dead fan, but I read a story uh, where – it was either Jerry Garcia or Bob Weir were talking about how they do weave and how they do – Yeah. You know, they're never playing the same thing at the same time. And I have that with my fellow guitar player. It's like, if you're both standing on stage, why are you going to play the same thing ever? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, I, oddly I, enough, there is one time that we do play uh, the same thing, but it's for an effect where he has a different effect on where we double the He basically doubles the solo that I'm doing. That's awesome. But we're not typically playing the same thing, for right. sure. Because, yeah. <laughs> because you can always have some musical moment happening. And I totally. I did know that about you two, and, and I see that about you two, and that was yeah. that was commendable. I meant to talk about that. But, oh, cool. uh, yeah. I mean, do you think it's the player or the gear? Like, could you do – and because you are a person that, you know, we, we've talked be, – being heavily into Johnny Greenwood, um, there are pedals, there are things like that. Do you think you yeah. could do an effective deep-sea diver performance without your pedals? Mm. Uh, yes. And I think that's because I approach the songs as being the strongest structure and not the effects and the effects come aft. Like the effects can influence the songs that I'm writing. Right. But if you take those away and I mean, there's some things that are harder to translate, you know, like, cause there's plenty of songs that I play on guitar that were written on keys, but they translated well or vice versa started on guitar. And then I moved over to keys, but like, I, I've kind of, I always have that in the back of my head of like, if this went away and I just had me and my acoustic, can I still, does this song still sing? Does this still make right. sense? And that is important to me. So for the most part, yes, I think I can do Deep Sea Diver songs, sans those effects, but that's just, I consider that a different performance, you know? Sure. Um, just like in the same way, you know, seeing Nick Cave play plenty of songs off Bad Seeds material, but he's just at the grand piano. But there, there's a different feeling you get from it you know right right I, you've already talked about your early 60s jazz master but do jaguar. you have one that jaguar I wish I i'm had sorry early 60s Not jazz master jasmine jaguar do you have one that got away do you have one you lost or pawned or got stolen yeah. what do you got you know 
there's not been a lot of switching of hands in between my guitars. Like most of what I've bought has stuck around. I sold like a long time ago. My very first electric I bought that wasn't gift. My very first electric was a Yamaha Pacifica, oh, yeah. uh, which was like the Strat Guitar Center cheap version that oh, yeah. me and my aunt bought for me for my birthday at age 11, which is so cool. I owe her so much. Gosh, just I forget that sometimes. Um, and then my first electric that I purchased was a Fender No Caster, like a reissue. Oh, and it was a relic. Yeah. It was like, a, you know, it looked really cool, but had kind of a big baseball bat neck. And at the time, I was really into really just like Elliot Smith, clean, Vox AC30, just chink, 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 right. chink, chink, like, uh, and, and I loved right. it. But then I grew out of it. So I saw yeah. that, fine with it. But the one guitar that I wish I wouldn't have sold just for even for like nostalgic purposes was the one that I had. It's uh, it was the Harmony um, with the cupcake knobs, the gold foil pickups. Shoot, I'm forgetting the. It looks like a little tuxedo or something like that. Uh, oh, I know what you're talking about. It, I played it in shins, and I played one as well with Beck, but it was a different color. That guitar is rad, and yeah, it's just such a different sound. It weighs like four pounds. I wish I wouldn't have sold that one because that had a lot of meaning to me. But I, I think I was like, I'm not using this in my band, so I don't need it around. But then I ended up borrowing one to record on the last record for us. So. It's always those gold. Nothing sounds like those gold foil pickups, A. And then B, it's always that like I had to t my brother is also a mu professional musician. And I, this, I had that talk with him today. He wants to get rid of something. And I'm like, dude, that's something you're going to eventually go. Wow, I wish I hadn't got rid of that, you know? Yeah. Um, so briefly, you did you did play in the Shins, and you did play in Beck as well. Mm -hmm. So were your guitar relationships with the other guitar players in those bands. So I mean, I know that's like a big loaded question, but yeah. maybe talk a little bit about that. Uh, so in Beck's band, you know, he had his that one guitar he always plays. It comes with the amp in the case. Silvertone. It's a, yes, it's, it's a, a Silvertone. Silver yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he played Silvertone yeah. amps live, or I think he had like a twin too. It was like loud yeah. as fuck. And then I was holding down like the lead guitar player role while he held down rhythm. And I learned a lot in that band. I was like 23 when I joined. And that's kind of where I got to branch out a lot more in pedals because I was had to, you know, when you're like kind of tasked to emulate not just one record, but like a decade of records. And he'd put out a lot of music, you know, uh, that yeah. everything from Midnight Vultures, which was like phasers and flangers and, and chorus and stuff like that. And then to Sea Change, which was lush and uh and then all the way you know to Odalay and stuff like that um it was just so fun i got yeah. i had like a slew of guitars and pedals and um accumulated so many things at that time and then by the time i got to the shins uh it was fun i remember like showing up to the audition and joe was there and swift and yuki and um i showed up with a, a fender um, super reverb, the silver uh -huh. face super reverb that I owned. And then that harmony guitar that we were talking about oh. earlier with the gold foils. And I, and James looked at me, he was like, Whoa, did you know that that's exactly what I used for the first two records? And I was like, yes, because I literally, <laughs> literally got that guitar. Cause I was like, I think it's that guitar. And right. I already own the super reverb, but, um, I, I was proud that I showed up. Right. I liked, I did my job. Well, <laughs> that's great. That's good. You always want that. You know, as far as Beck goes, uh, Roger Manning. Oh, yeah. I didn't ever get to play with him, but he's a m you monster. You didn't? No. I was with Roger yesterday. Wow. He's, he's a good friend. 
Legend. Yeah, I know. At the time, it was uh, this guy, uh, Brian, who then went on to be Feist's MD. But um, yeah, Brian LeBarton. Yeah. But I'm very much aware of Roger Manning and all of the crazy stuff he's done. He's a wizard. It's ridiculous. Um, Well, the Shins. And so how long was that tenure with with those guys? Uh, That was 2012 to 2013. Yeah, just one record cycle. That's so cool. Wow, I'm really envious. That's uh, what great bands and what a great, uh, what a great career. Uh, and then, and now, you know, Deep Sea Diver, you know, somebody, it's funny because somebody was like, tell me about your band and they go, man, it's like, it's like Radiohead, the Pixies and Kate LeBon. And I was like, I love all three of those bands and I've got to hear this. And of, although I could definitely hear little influences of, of a lot of stuff, but you're wholly unto yourself and uh, it's fantastic. I love that. I, right. I I uh, Kate I love Kate Lebon. Um, oh my god, and, that new record, Jesus! Yeah, it, she she's amazing, so good. Oh, that's is. cool. <laughs> yeah. So, and I did hear, I did get the the Pixies references. It's like with your lead work, actually, with uh, with Santiago. Because I mean, a what? Jeez, Jesus Christ! What a fucking ridiculous player Joey Santiago yeah. is. What an original, and no one sounds like him. Um, but uh, I just I love your stuff. It's it's thank it's, you very it's great. much. Yeah, and I'm so glad you I'm so glad you did this my dumb guitar podcast. I really appreciate it making making the time to do it. Uh, of course. Real quick, so last thing, what's the? And this is a very broad sweeping general question, but has there been any revelation in your musical or guitar playing life? Oh wow! Or the biggest one you've had? Gosh, you know sometimes it's hard for me to separate guitar playing and songwriting. You don't have to separate. You can make it. Yeah, they they for me, you know, I've never I've never had aspirations of only just like thinking if that's all I did was being a guitar player and like I got to get better and better and better and better. It's always go, gone been hand in hand with songwriting for me, which is I deeply desire to become a better songwriter. And the guitar aspect of that, I think in my brain is always just like how can I not get bored of what I'm doing, but also right. not be too precious and be okay with, um, you know, a lot of people try to avoid patterns they go to and, and everyone has them when they sit down with a guitar, these sure. things that you just like, Oh yeah, I know this lick and this lick and this lick. And I, I guess I don't really have a clean answer to what you're saying. It's just that <laughs> I, I, I really like to think a little bit more. Like, do you have, can you give no, me you, an example of what you would say? Because that's going to a buy it. me time to answer your question better. <laughs> I, it, I do. I do need to. I do need to narrow it down a little bit. But 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 no, I think you just answered my question, and and you answered it brilliantly because that's something that's always nagged at me. I'm going to finish your answer. Okay, fantastic. I'm just going to. I'm going to. I'm going to jump on, <laughs> and I'm going to co-opt your answer, and I'm going to finish it for you. Um, just uh, yeah. So. No, no, no. I, my, what I'm what I'm pulling from what you just said is I have that as you know, every musician has that their meat and potatoes lick where you sit down and you do the same thing. That's so you know what it's just in your hands, you know, yeah. you're just gonna and you're watching TV and you're just gonna do the same shit yeah. over and over and over again. And I think the biggest revelation uh, maybe hopefully I'm trying to interpret what you were saying is, is to sort of push yourself outside of that and to maybe push yourself into uh, outside of your meat and potato song style or your song choices or your arrangement, you know, the, my verse chorus, bridge chorus out or whatever it might be. And that you're kind of always pushing yourself to challenge those um, well-worn grooves, so to speak. 
Totally. And, you know, it's different when I'm playing with other people and I have no part in the songwriting. Um, The ways in which I challenge myself and have these revelations um, when I'm playing with other people, it's mostly just through being in awe of seeing how they approach their craft or getting in, in being in so immersed in a song where you're learning it and, you know, you want to bring something fresh to the live show and it then seeps into your own playing and your own band and, you know, just by osmosis and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I said it earlier, like the biggest revelation I feel like I've had beyond what I've already said is just being antenna up is the best way you can be. It's just like constantly learning new songs, doing covers just to, you know, get inside someone yeah. else's brain and being a kid. <laughs> like that's, See, that's the greatest. That's it for I, me. I think that's the best answer to that question I've had. Cool. Seriously. Because it, because that's why, that's why we got into this, isn't it? You know, because when we, when we were kids, we had that youthful sort of exuberance and, and mm-hmm. we got in a room with our friends. It was like, I went from playing with action figures to playing guitars with right. friends and to to always attain that sort of sense of of wonder, I think is what makes us all magic, you know. Totally. And uh, I think that's a great, that's a fantastic answer, Jessica. Oh, I think Zach. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, it's it's interesting talking to you because you have done guitar for hire, you have played in other people's bands, you do mm-hmm. front your own band, and you are the main writer. So you have this unique perspective where so many people maybe they just did one. Sure. Um, I, I've done both as well and it's and it's it's a very it's a it's a it's a broader spectrum not necessarily that that it's better or worse it just it does give you an enhanced perspective so to speak Mm -hmm. and so that was another reason why i was really really uh interested in talking to you and and thankful that you did this oh cool i'm really glad that you reached out and happy so stoked to be on the podcast yeah cool well uh thank you for uh for giving me your time and oh what's next what do you got coming up what do you got Mostly just like some flyouts and, you know, one-off festival things this summer. And then it's just mainly focusing on getting another record in the can. In the can. So we can do so this whole speak. thing over again. Yeah, we'll come back yeah. on, please. And let's talk more nerd shit. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jess. Thank you, Zach. Thanks for having me. And like I said, I think I have a new friend. I'm making so many friends on this podcast, and I'm so happy about that. Because frankly, folks, I like being friends with guitar players, man. I like being friends with musicians, you know? If I go to a social function, I just find the musicians or the musician-adjacent folks, the people that work as close to the music industry or the musical field Because that's the folks I want to know. That's the folks I'm going to have most in common with. We speak the same lingo. And I did have a lot in common with Jess. You know, we both have played in other people's bands. We both write in our own bands. We both started bands and played in those bands. And it's funny. You meet people from all different stripes and playing different types of music. But, you know, if you've done this long enough, you tend to have, you know, the same things in common. It's a never-ending quest. It's a never-ending journey, people. And I'm, a, I'm on the quest for life, man. I'm here. I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep talking to these people. I hope you keep listening. I hope you keep tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I sure did. So, I hope you keep listening. 
I'll keep making these. And I also want to thank the wonderful people over at MXR and Jim Dunlop products. If you're a musician, if you're a guitar player, you don't have any of this stuff, although I doubt that you don't have any of this stuff, the Tortex picks, the Jim Dunlop cables, the Jim Dunlop crybaby waz, the you know, wonderful MXR pedals, of which I have well, almost my whole pedal board is MXR pedals. Uh, then if you don't have any of that stuff, you need to go out and get that stuff because uh, they're wonderful folks and it's wonderful products. So once again, thank you guys for listening to the Anti-Heroes. And uh, I'm going to keep making these. Whether you're listening or not, I'm going to keep doing it. That's not a threat. That's a promise. I would be remiss to not leave you with an example of Jessica Dobson's wonderful guitar work. Um, I chose the song Lights Out of the Impossible Weight record, which came out in 2020 uh, on ATO Records. And I chose this one because it's a really good example of Jessica's just stunning pedal work. She's one of those people that um, use effects pedals to write songs with and I think I'm so endlessly fascinated with that um, you know a lot of people use effects pedals to enhance solos I definitely fall into that category I don't know if I've ever thought of oh I can write a song using this pedal that that could not effectively really be played without the pedal um, I'm, I'm sure she's such a genius she's going to figure out a way to do that with just an acoustic guitar because the song is also just a great song on its own merit but if you listen, you're going to, you know, there's there's some delay going on. There might be some chorus or some reverb. Uh, there might be some flange. Um, she definitely, in my opinion, you know, there's some Joey Santiago influence. Uh, there's, in, what I'm hearing is some actual, some Fugazi, some Guy Pichotto and, and Ian Mackay influence as well. But I think I hear Guy Pichotto and Ian Mackay and, and everything. So uh, maybe not here, but that... That is what I'm hearing. So check this out. This is uh, Jessica Dobson's wonderful, wonderful guitar work. I'm so endlessly impressed with her. And this is the song Lights Out. And this is going to be from uh, her, her great band, Deep Sea Diver, uh, their Impossible Weight record. It came out in 2020. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>
see.